Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I've told you about this tactic that we employ here in the newsroom a number of times in the past. It's called localizing. Uh, One of the things that we do uh, when a national story breaks is we start uh, by asking ourselves here in local news and local talk radio, we ask ourselves, okay, how how has this national story uh, touched Utah? Or what is our proximity uh, to this big national story? And I'll tell you what, a a disproportionately high uh, numbers of times Utah, we are in the middle of things. Uh, you know, this this little state uh, out here in the Intermountain West, uh, we do find ourselves in the middle of big stories, not only around this country, but uh, across the world. And so it is that uh, over the weekend, of course, as we learned of the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we started asking ourselves very naturally the question of, okay, well, uh, who who may find themselves as the, the president's nominee to replace and to fill the vacancy left by now the late uh, Justice Ginsburg. And the list uh, is relatively short. Uh, and we don't know for certain uh, that this is the, the, the short list. But the president, uh, as you heard uh, just before the commercial break, the president has made it known his intention to uh, nominate a woman and that that nomination will likely come on Friday or Saturday. And so you look for clues. And we think back uh, a few years ago when Justice Kavanaugh uh, was initially nominated, and you looked back just a few weeks before that to what may have been uh, the shortlist, a name on that list, Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett uh, is a district court judge, uh, uh, and she, I'm sorry, uh, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, and she uh, was on the list. She has been vetted, and she also happened to spend some time in Utah just last year. She was a guest of the Founders Day dinner at Brigham Young University's J. Reuben Clark School of Law. Uh, at that same event, at that same event, uh, Professor Aaron Nielsen uh, received. Uh, an honor. Uh, the Alumni Association presented uh, the professor with the 2019 Alumni Professor of the Year. And Professor Nielsen joins me now. Uh, professor, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm great. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, tell me, back in 2019, uh, during this event, when, uh, when Amy Barrett was uh, addressing you and others, uh, what were you struck by? Well, I mean, an obvious thing that, you know, if she is the nominee that people will see right away, is she is very, very smart. Uh, I knew that already from her scholarship. I knew that she was a smart person. But it's different when you see her in, you know, in real life. Um, amazing understanding of history. Very, very sharp. Um, 
it was it was a pretty impressive performance. Uh, her conversation was about the history of the Constitution, and it was it was very formidable. Outstanding. Uh, and, and you think that she would be able to stand up well uh, in a, in a hearing setting, or I'm sorry, in a in a confirmation hearing. Sure. I mean, obviously, anyone who is nominated, it's going to be a confirmation hearing like we've never seen before, right in the middle of a presidential election. Uh, so whoever gets the nominee nomination is going to, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a rough go round. Um, so, it, you know, that's just going in the expectation. Um, she is very tough. Um, you know, she, she comes across as nice, and I'm sure she is very nice. Um, but there's substance there that I think would be able to um, go through that process. You have had some interactions with her in the past outside of the event of last year where you received that honor. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, What can you tell us about her as a person? So so it's funny. You know, as a law professor, most of what how I know her um, is as a law professor. Now she's a judge and, you know, she's on TV and all of that. Um, but I, I know her as a law professor, uh, and her scholarship isn't the sort of scholarship that I think that a lot of people will just pick up and read like a bestseller. It's nitty-gritty, kind of dry questions of constitutional law and structure. Uh, and that's where I knew her from, as somebody who lives in that space, who really understands the history of the Constitution, who understands um, how the provisions fit together. Um, so when I see her, I think, well, that's the sort of person I would like to have as a judge, um, not somebody who, who you know, who, who's aiming for the headlines, um, but spends their time with dusty old law books, and that is her. So, you know, she's tough. She's the sort of person that could, I think could, under, could go through a nomination hearing, um, but her substance is she is a careful scholar, and I think that's that's her that's her training. In 2017, she took part in a in a confirmation hearing before the United States Senate. She was being confirmed uh, a member of the U.S. Court of Appeals in the Seventh Circuit. Uh, Senator Feinstein uh, focused in on uh, on Judge Barrett's uh, religiosity and uh, her Catholic faith. Uh, it made mention of dogma being present in her writings. What can you say about that? I don't know. I, I think that um, and, and everybody who watches the confirmation hearings recognizes that um, there, it's not quite how reality is. Um, it, it, there's politics involved. I've read her scholarship for you know for years, um, and I don't know. I don't recognize that type of claim about her scholarship. Um, I do recognize that she is somebody who lives. Um, you know, she's not embarrassed about her faith. Um, she teaches or taught before she became a judge at Notre Dame Law School, where she was professor of the year three times. Um, she's serious about her faith, um, but that's the, the, there's a difference between somebody's faith and somebody's you know legal aptitude, um, and right. she is off the charts on legal aptitude. Uh, one thing that is just noteworthy is when she was nominated for the Seventh Circuit. Every single law clerk from her year at the Supreme Court, where she clerked for Justice Scalia, every single law clerk, doesn't matter you know, their political party or their ideology or who they clerked for, they all wrote a letter in her support saying that she should be confirmed as a judge. Uh, and I think that speaks more um, than just the politics of confirmation. 100%. Uh, Professor Nielsen, thank you so much for your time. Again, congratulations for that award of your own last year, and thank you for your insight into uh, this potential next member of the United States Supreme Court. Thanks again. 
Of course. Have a great day. Thank Alrighty. you. Uh, we're going to take a break here in uh, a moment. I'd also point out uh, before we move on from uh, from this conversation that the re- that the religious affiliation of a member of the court. There are incredibly religious people uh, who already occupy the court, uh, to include now the late uh, Justice Ginsburg. It, uh, we're going to talk later on about how various senators have tried to use uh, religion against judges, and in particular, uh, now Judge Barrett, and what may uh, be in store for her should these proceedings continue. Should she first receive the nomination, uh, and then should she face a hearing in the Senate. Quick break. We're going to shift gears when we return and talk about something called the 1776 Commission. Yeah, the 1776 Commission. Uh, It's an effort being undertaken by President Trump and Education Secretary DeVos. Details on that coming up next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.